0: This is Sami J. Karam, and I am with Joe Aisal Khouri, who is a Lebanese citizen based in Beirut. And the topic today is to discuss the situation in Lebanon that, as many of you know, has been uh, very tricky in the last two years first uh, due to economic difficulties in Lebanon, uh, difficulties in the banking sector, and uh, a political crisis, the pandemic, and of course the tragic and deadly explosion in the port of Beirut last August. Uh, Mr. Isal Khouri is Uh, active in the wealth management industry with M1 Group, uh, which is a family office in Lebanon. He is based in Beirut, and he's joining us right now. Good morning, Joe. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, good morning, Sammy. I can hear you perfectly well.
0: Uh, It's a pleasure to be speaking to you. I'm myself outside of New York City, and uh, with the wonders of technology now, it's... uh, you're you're now four or five thousand miles away, but we can hear each other perfectly. Um, Indeed. So, uh, welcome, and uh, it's a difficult topic, um, and we're going to try to—I don't know if we'll be able to make sense of it, but at least shed some light on what's happened in the last two years, the sequence of events that led to the present, and. Um, the first thing I'm going to ask you is since you're there on the ground in Beirut and, uh, you are then by, 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 by saying that I'm saying you're in a country that's, uh, undergoing a very difficult economic situation, uh, a political crisis, hyperinflation. So my first question is what is it like right now on the ground in Beirut? What what is life like for the, Lebanese
1: citizen? Well, that's 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 a tough question to answer when 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 you come to think that Beirut used to be uh, used to be uh, called the Paris of the Middle East and Lebanon used to be considered up until a certain uh, 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 period of time the the Switzerland of the Middle East. Uh, I'm going to be very blunt very direct because uh, some people have been living in, in some sort of denial, but I believe it's about time for all of us, Lebanese, particularly those who are living here and those who are abroad, to uh, face realities and in order to be able to find solutions in the quickest possible way. Uh, my biggest concern is that we are witnessing some sort of a destructuring of the state of Lebanon in all, it, in all forms be it at the administration level, be it at the uh, cohesive social level, and be it at the economic level. As you rightly mentioned, and you might have missed a couple of uh, issues that I'm going to try and uh, uh, recollect now, uh, aside from the COVID-19 pandemic uh, and uh, and the our, what I call our, September 11, which was the blast and the explosion of the port of Beirut back in August on the 4th. Uh, Some might even qualify it as being more of a Hiroshima-like explosion. Uh, Lebanon is witnessing uh, a financial collapse. Uh, We're facing an economic crisis, a currency crisis, a banking crisis, uh, a political crisis, definitely on top of the hyperinflation so all this is, uh, uh, is reflecting a lot on the on the way of life in, in lebanon just to give you one one uh, figure uh, like a year ago a year and a half ago there was a this study issued by the world bank that uh, uh, said stated that uh, uh, lebanon lebanon used to have like about 20% of uh, of the population who used to live under the below the poverty level and poverty it, it could be primary or secondary primary ie less than one and a half dollars per day per, per capita secondary I think it's about nine dollars per day per capita and they were forecasting a couple of years ago I mean when the crisis started actually back in uh, end of uh, end of uh, 2019 year and a half ago uh, they were forecasting that if the crisis persists persists and uh, uh, there's no solution found to it, by the end of 2020, uh, Lebanon might be facing poverty of about 50 percent of its population and my concern and the concern of everybody is that it seems we've reached this uh, 50 or 60 percent. so in essence, you have uh, about 40 percent of the population who used to be in the, uh, uh, who used to be considered as being part of the middle class suddenly in the span of 10 to 12 months, they fell below the poverty line, and, uh, and this is, this is uh, quite hard, and this is leading to a lot of young people uh, trying to leave the, the country, and uh, those who are quote-unquote sellable to the outside world normally are those who are well-educated, who can try to find jobs elsewhere. As a matter of fact, yesterday I was reading a figure. I don't know how accurate it is, but it's, it's quite alarming if it's correct. One of the embassies, and uh, we know all which embassy it might be, has received over the last uh, five or six months, 130,000 demand uh, visa for immigration uh, uh, by young, young Lebanese. There, there so that there is,
0: there is an incredible figure when you consider that uh, the entire population, I mean, we don't have an exact census, but is estimated at, uh, what, four or five million? And, you know, Uh, the young are only a fraction of that, so 130,000 would be a a very, very significant percentage of people trying to leave.
1: You're absolutely right. The the Lebanese who are resident uh, currently in Lebanon should should be about four million. We have an additional two million of. uh, Syrian refugees, or displaced, and Palestinian refugees, and other foreigners. So yes, uh, total residents would be 6 million, out of which 4 are Lebanese. So you're absolutely right, 130 and the span. And this is one embassy. We're not talking about other embassies. Yes, the situation is quite alarming. No creation of jobs, depreciation of the currency, just to give you, a, a, in, in the span of one year, and less than a year, the currency lost about 90 or 92% of its value. So the dollar used to be pegged at 1,500 Lebanese pounds. It reached about uh, a month ago, a month and a half ago, the level of 14,000. Currently it's around 12,000, which is still uh, still extremely high. This is
0: an unspeakable tragedy, um, rarely seen uh, in the world. Uh, I mean it does happen it's happened obviously in other countries, but you see a situation like that once every few years uh in a different country and it's which qualifies as extremely rare and it 's very often a result of combination of factors of including mismanagement and so forth. but I want to go back for one second to something you said earlier, which is uh okay, you and I are part of the same generation. Of Lebanese Uh, some some of some listeners uh, already know that I'm myself a native of Lebanon and I grew up in Beirut uh, until I left in my mid-teens and Joe you also grew up in Beirut Uh, you stayed a bit later than I did because you attended college uh, in Lebanon but then you you also left for a number of years uh, to work I think you told me in France in wealth management and then you came back but the point that I want to get to is being part of this generation of Lebanese uh, born in the late 50s or early 60s um, we are old enough to remember the golden days of Lebanon we are old enough uh, not only from our own experience, but from uh, having seen our parents and the way they they progressed their generation in the post-World War II era, which was a, a time full of optimism and of uh, sort of a, a desire to modernize quickly and to raise the economy. And this was when Lebanon was... Uh, feared and celebrated and recognized and uh as 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 you said as the switzerland of the middle east or the paris beirut was the paris of the middle east uh and this was the story up until let's call it uh i'm not i can't pick an exact date but let's say the early 70s 75 75 would be you're right the beginning of the civil war True. Uh, And this is when, of course, uh, the unraveling, I don't know if it started in 75, maybe it started a couple of years earlier. Uh, People can quibble about when it started, but uh, the point being that this is when the unraveling started uh, and sort of accelerated with the Civil War. And here we are incredibly... uh, I mean, it's almost 50 years later. It's hard to believe, right? I mean, in yes. <laughs> 2025, it'll be 50 years later. And uh, you had the Civil War, which ended in 91. Then you had another, you know, a reconstruction, a period of optimism. And, right. you know, that lasted, you you tell me, maybe a decade or so, perhaps a bit more. And then once again, uh this, this wonderful, beautiful country with uh, an amazing, an amazing people. Once again, beaten on the head by uh, a combination of, uh, we have to be honest, our own doing as Lebanese, but also a slew of external factors. But here we are now once again at the bottom or close to the bottom uh so is this um you know we don't want to be fatalistic but uh you know this country needs a break and it sort of begs the question as to why is lebanon so prone to uh, because it seems to be that way why is it so prone to crisis why is it i mean every country in the world has bad periods even rich developed countries have 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 had them but it seems that you know they're they're, they get out of that phase and then they have a much longer stretch of of uh peace and prosperity but in lebanon we seem to not be able to get on that trajectory and i'm curious as to your thoughts about this why, why this is so it's interesting. I'll 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 probably get
1: to, to to the answer because my answer to this and and uh, I don't want to get jump into the conclusion. But my answer to this would be the issue the the issues we're facing today, uh, be it of of uh, economic, financial, uh, currency, banking, whatever crisis. The origin of all of that is a weak political system that we have. We can get to this, but I liked because now you're reminding me of the probably the. You, you overflew the history of Lebanon, how, how it, it came. And if we look at, at quickly at how Lebanon evolved as a modern, as a modern state, uh, uh, historically, Lebanon prospered based on inflow of people and funds, people who used to take refuge in Lebanon and funds. Because uh, if you look at the post-World War II period, when Lebanon, modern Lebanon was built and uh, got its independence, uh, one thing that was common in all the eras or all the periods that Lebanon went through, and I'm talking 100 or 200 uh, years, is this liberal economic system that all those who used to live on this land used to adopt. So the the constant was, constant was liberal economic system. So post-World War II in the 50s and 60s, if you look at the uh, countries that are in the region, many of them adopted socialism and this is what pushed a lot of high net worth individuals and well-educated people to leave their country of origin uh, to leave their country of origin and come to lebanon with their know-how with their money and this is what always kept lebanon rolling and and uh, 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 prospering Uh, because if you look at lebanon per se we never had any natural resources and Lebanon was never a place where people could become wealthy. And this is what explains partly part of the reasons why since the 19th century, Lebanese used to leave Lebanon, leave Lebanon and to go and try to find their way abroad. And this is how going back to the population. And this is a well-known, it's a well-known secret that despite the fact that we have in Lebanon 4 million who are, Lebanese who live in Lebanon. It is said, and it is, it is known, that between 15 to 17 million pe- uh, people of Lebanese origin uh, live, uh, live uh, outside of Lebanon. And I'll tell you a, a, a little story here. Once I was in New York and I met, uh, I had the chance to be at the Security Council with the, back then, the Prime Minister of Lebanon. And the representative of Lebanon Introduced the representative of Brazil to to the prime minister of Lebanon, and he told him, Mr. Prime Minister, I'd like you to I'd like to introduce you to the to the uh, representative of, of Brazil. She represents more Lebanese than I do, because in 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 Brazil there are about nine to ten million Brazilian of Lebanese origin. So it's more than twice the Lebanese uh, population. So yes, uh, despite the fact that. Uh, Lebanon historically was not a place where people could, could make money. However, it used to, it used to harbor, it used, people uh, who are fleeing the region used to come and live thanks to its uh, 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 liberal economic, economic system. Now, what happened in the 70s, uh, early 70s, with the, what the Western world would call, uh, call the, the oil crisis. The Arab world would call it the oil boom, because the, uh, the oil price went up, the the region was awash with cash, and no country in the region had the proper banking system similar, uh, uh, as good as the one that was existing in Lebanon. So a lot of cash came into Lebanon. And in 75, unfortunately, as you rightly mentioned, the, the civil war started. However, between 75 and, and 82, because we still had the... Uh, PLO in Lebanon, the Palestinian, uh, the Palestinians were still in Lebanon. A lot of cash was coming. Unfortunately, this was cash coming for war, but still there was an inflow of, of cash coming coming uh, to 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 the country. Now, uh, after '82, there was of course the Israeli invasion and the end of war. The civil war uh, happened in 1990. Then came the Hariri era, late Prime Minister Rafik Hariri. 92, 93, uh, who had a vision to reconstruct Lebanon. And uh, uh, there was a lot of inflow of cash that started uh, back um, During this era, the Hariri era, which was a very prosperous era, that lasted until, unfortunately, the assassination of Prime Minister Hariri, which was back in 2005. So there was the financing of projects. uh, There was an inflow of funds into banks particularly by Lebanese who used to live abroad. Uh, we had a balance of payment that was positive. Uh, the policy concerning the currency that was uh, 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 adopted, it was pegging the currency. There was a lot of consumption taking place. Um, but from time to time, we used to have certain crises when it, when it comes to uh, uh, fiscal, fiscal uh, uh, policy, and this is why, During uh, uh, late Prime Minister Hariri, we had what we label as Paris 1, Paris 2, Paris 3, which were conferences uh, uh, attended by international community in Paris organized by the French to help Lebanon assist in the reconstruction of uh, of the country. Uh, Now, what was missing back then was the proper modernization or putting some sort of, I would say, uh, order in the public sector, because yeah, Joe, the-
0: Joe, let, let me stop you right here. I I, I want to make this. Um, I want. I definitely want to hear what you have to say about this um, yes. in the next segment. But I want uh, to go back briefly on uh, what you said earlier, which I think is a point worth developing. Uh, one of the explanations as to why we have, we're sort of seem to be in a never-ending cycle of crisis. I hope that's not the case, but I'm, I'm speaking empirically. I'm not making any forecasts about the future. Hopefully we, we get out of this and have a run of a few uh, or even several prosperous decades ahead of us. Um, but one reason we've gone through the cycle is I think you said something to the fact that the, the central authority or the state has been, for whatever reason, weak or not effective enough. And um, I want to ask you in, in, a couple, in a minute what you think are the root causes for that. But I also want to offer my own uh, hypothesis, which I don't think fully answers the question. But I, yes. think, but I think it's part of the answer which is uh the following which has to do in a way with the the very geography of lebanon and you and i in the past have uh shared a photo uh a satellite photo that shows the entire region uh from basically from the entire uh eastern mediterranean from from southern turkey all the way down to the uh delta the nile delta in egypt and what's striking about this uh this satellite photo is um essentially you see uh, an entire land area that looks quite arid and dry and i don't want to say d- desert because not all of it is desert but definitely looks uh not green at all let's say in, yes. in most of its parts but then you have these exceptions that jump at you in this picture. And those exceptions being, of course, you know, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm leading to that. The fact that you have, you have Lebanon, you know, the Lebanon mountain range, uh, as it were, that picture that we're talking about was taken in winter. So you could see the snow-capped mountains from space. And then uh, you see greenery along the entire uh, coastline uh, from southern Turkey all the way down to Egypt uh including lebanon so you see you see you, you, you have kind of a, a green strip uh and then more inland is where the kind of the dry land uh with, with a lot less greenery so you know that's the second feature that's immediately noticeable and of course in the distance in that specific picture you saw the nile delta which you know with its in its uh enormous uh spread and also there you see like A lot of greenery and something something different going on there and and uh you also see the dead sea you know another uh notable feature in that photo so um i think what i'm getting at is lebanon is different as as egypt is different uh or at least the the area of egypt that's around the delta in a way that that differentiates it from surrounding Lands and even surrounding countries, and it has to do with its topography uh, and also its position on the Mediterranean. You know this combination of having the sea, uh, you know, the westward looking towards the west, the sea, and you have the the mountains, uh, very very unique features that have drawn to it. You know, you mentioned earlier how the the liberal economics. And the liberal culture have drawn people in the last 100 or 200 years to Lebanon. But going back further from that, the the topography uh, has drawn, you know, for over a thousand years, people from different parts of the Middle East have drawn them to Lebanon. uh, Very often for survival reasons, you know, small groups who needed to shelter uh in those valleys and in those mountains where it would it was it was uh back then with the military their technologies of of a thousand years ago it made it harder to suppress them or to repress them and that was uh a strength and an asset that lebanon had you know in addition to the fact that it that this topography makes the country more beautiful physically it also provided a reason for a lot of different groups with different histories to take shelter in that area, in addition uh, to having now also the sea as a means of trading with the outside world. So the combination of these things ended up with a country that's uh, very fragmented in terms of its historic groups, Uh, you know, uh, to then have created this ambitious project of creating a state that uh, encompasses all these groups is was you know a laudable effort still is uh but uh, no one should be surprised in a way that uh it's experienced a lot of growing pains let's say uh because you know you, you have all this fragmentation along uh history culture religion and uh, i see this personally uh not as as the only factor but as a, one of the most important of, of several others one of the most important factors that have made it difficult to achieve uh cohesion the sort of cohesion that would lead to a stronger state and uh i wonder if you want to comment on this and also maybe offer additional thoughts that you may have on, on the, on the question.
1: Uh, uh, definitely. I'm glad you, you raised this issue of, of this picture because I, I, I saw it first on your, uh, on your Facebook or, or, or Twitter. I cannot remember. And I loved it. Actually, what it says is that geography determines history. And, uh, in the, in the early, in the early ages of, of human development, uh, uh, tribes used to move from one place to, to, uh, to to another uh, seeking either shelter, thanks to a mountain or valley or whatever, as you mentioned, or uh, looking for water in order to be able to to live uh, uh, properly. So yes, definitely. Now, you're you're right about this variety. However, this variety uh, could have been and should be, still, I mean, I'm not saying, uh, no, I didn't mean could have been uh, to say that it's not the case. It still is the case. Uh, should be a, a source of wealth rather than a source of, of uh, uh, a, a drawback on the on the country, because I always like to give this example, uh, uh, comparing uh, 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 taking the analogy of Lebanese food. Um, I I, I, lo- I love images normally, and uh, see Lebanese food uh, is considered to be uh, the fourth most. Uh, 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 Varied uh, cuisine and, and and the world in terms of number of dishes after the uh, the French, Italian, chinese, and then the the uh, the Lebanese, but if you look specifically your your Lebanese, you should know at the Lebanese food, the essence of it is say pure Lebanese, as in kibbenyi tabbouleh, mjadra and all of this, but you add to it some Aleppo. Uh, dishes, some Damascene dishes, some Turkish, some Palestinian, Armenian, uh, French, Italian, all of this makes the wealth and the variety that we find in the Lebanese food. Um, For for instance, if you you, uh, uh, try a dish, say, coming from Aleppo, in Syria, in Aleppo, it would not taste the same as if when you try it in Lebanon, because it was fine-tuned it was changed to fit the taste of all these groups that form Lebanon, coming from different backgrounds, cultural, ethnic, or religious backgrounds. And this is, this, is, this is what makes the wealth of Lebanese cuisine, Lebanese cuisine, and this is what our society is constructed or based, uh, based uh, on. So the wealth of this, these backgrounds should be positive, not negative. Now. I, I,
0: I love I love your example of uh, choosing or or uh, pointing out that the cuisine is a uh, you know is a reflection of of the culture and just as the different influences imp- have improved the cuisine that uh, we agree on this that the different influences and the different backgrounds of all these communities should be a, a, a source of enormous wealth if properly channeled and properly managed and uh, I regret to say not used for creating antagonisms instead. Yes, so absolutely. What, what, what you're saying is, uh, is, is so on point not just for Lebanon, incidentally, but for uh, and, and almost any country out there where you have you know, of course, you want to have a certain uh, amount of social capital of a community that that all see eye to eye on one thing. That that's also desirable, but you can't have only that. You know, if you if you have only that, it creates a, a culture that's sterile and stagnant. You need inputs from other groups in order to move forward. I think that's a uh, point made by sociologists that's increasingly widely accepted so your your comments are very much on point uh, but you were you were about to say something else or uh, uh
1: yes i was i was about to say that uh, once the civil i mean the reason one major reason be, behind our civil war uh, in lebanon was definitely the excesses and the uh, uh freedom that was given to the uh, Palestinian resistance in, in, in Lebanon that went overboard. Uh, um, unfortunately, unfortunately, the Ta'if agreement, or what we call the uh, the new constitution that was drafted in, 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 in one of the cities of Saudi Arabia that uh, brought the war to a halt and uh, made peace in Lebanon again, uh, The its application has been taking uh, Diversions from, its, uh, from the initial soul on which it was the based um, because what, end, what this agreement ended up doing is distributing, is creating, establishing a weak central state that has distributed its power to uh, a federation of communities represented by either parties or, or uh, leaders who are and the name of their respective communities, representing or benefiting, to be more blunt and direct, uh, the uh, uh, benefiting from the uh, the, cent- the weak central central state, because again, if we look at the history of Lebanon, it was the uh, private sector that was at the essence of the development of this country. And all what the private sector used to ask from the public sector is that, uh, to shy away just from time to time, uh, please, I mean, do draft certain regulations or laws for us, and, but you shy away and we allow this uh, uh, country to evolve. Now going back to the pictures, also one of your pictures that I liked, because I used to criticize this laissez-faire economy on which we, we were, that led us to the crony capitalism where we fell four or five years ago. And this is what, what is leading us today to the disastrous situation where we are. Because moving from a laissez-faire economy toward a crony capitalism structure has uh, completely neutralized the private sector. And uh, because only few people or few institutions used to benefit over the last four or five years, before this major crisis that started that was triggered at the end of 2019, and this is what made a lot of uh, private uh, investors shy away from uh, from uh, investing and in, in Lebanon and creating uh, uh, jobs. Okay, so now, you,
0: you uh, I want to talk, uh, which I think is in a way the, the meat of this discussion that's coming up as to what actually happened to the economy and the banks uh, a year or two ago. But I'm intrigued with uh, your, uh, your saying that the cronyism accelerated and you, 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 you put that at about four or five years ago. Uh, of course, I live far away, seen from uh, the United States. I may have a distorted view but I would have, if some, if you had asked me or somebody had asked me, when do you think the laissez-faire model sort of passed the threshold and became more of a cronyistic model? My own guess would have been that it's uh, not five years ago, but uh, longer ago than that. I would have said, I, I don't even know what I would have said, I, but uh, over 10 years ago, I would have said that, I... that, that it would have been sort of... Uh, a system that's, of course, there's no perfect meritocracy in the world. You know, that we're, we're not implying that other countries, even developed countries, are perfect meritocracy. You have cronyism everywhere. Uh, the question is, at what point does it become so large that it becomes crippling to the economy? So, you, you know, you've had cronyism in Lebanon for many decades, just as you've had it, uh, and you have it today, even in the United States. The question is, at what stage did it pass this sort of red line, uh, where it became a real problem and sort of uh, fed on itself beyond that? And uh, what do you think of that?
1: I, I think I have an answer for you. I mean, we, we, were, we were going through this, uh, the history of what happened, uh, and we reached the point where uh, in 2005, unfortunately, late Prime Minister Hariri was assassinated. But that, then what happened was, uh, two things happened, actually. 2005 6 Syrian army that was in Lebanon uh, was forced to leave the country. So many Lebanese who were scared to bring their money back to Lebanon started bringing back uh, uh, a lot of funds into Lebanon. And this is when the real estate we were started witnessing a real estate boom between 2007 that lasted and un- until 2011, and I'll explain why. And then another another event took place, 2008-2009, the international financial crisis, uh, that brought interest rates down to somewhere between 0 and 1% when uh, Lebanese banks were paying between 3 and 4%. So a lot of Lebanese and non-Lebanese also brought a, a, a lot of funds into into lebanon at the banks so between 2007 and 2010 end of 2010 i would say uh, over 30 uh, closer to 34 billion dollars came into the lebanese sector which is a big amount
0: that's huge
1: yeah. and it's huge knowing keeping in mind that the economy of lebanon at its peak in terms of gdp was 55 billion so back in 2010 we were almost 100 I would say 80% of the GDP in terms of deposits came into the, 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 the banks of Lebanon. Then what happened? 2011, and this is to answer your question. 2011, Arab Spring. 2011, Syrian crisis. And the, the Syrian displaced uh, coming into Lebanon, we ended up having after six or seven years about 1.3 or 1.4 million Syrians in Lebanon. For a country with a size of a, a, a 4 million population, this is huge. Okay, so Syrian crisis... Yeah, just to, get, is,
0: just to give people an idea, Lebanon is, uh, I think, a bit larger than Connecticut. So it's not, it's, not, yeah. it's not a very big place. And furthermore, it's very mountainous, which means mountain that the, 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 the livable land area is significantly less than Connecticut. That's true true. So, uh, uh,
1: so 2011, Arab Spring, Syrian crisis, and its spillover effect over Lebanon with the displaced coming into, into Lebanon. 2013, Hezbollah uh, started declaring war uh, 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 with the Syrian regime against the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the opponent of the regime. Yes, absolutely. And not only that, they declared their uh, antagonism against the GCC countries, particularly Saudi Arabia. So Lebanon, we used to to receive so many hundreds of thousands of tourists coming from the GCC countries, Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, uh, Kuwait, uh, Bahrain, Qatar, stopped, uh, forbid actually, their citizens to come to Lebanon. No more loans coming to Lebanon, no more deposits coming to Lebanon, no more investments coming to Lebanon. And this there was, was the as, as early as
0: 2011 or 2012? 2013,
1: 2013, okay. 2013, And also, if you look, go back to the oil prices, you see that the oil peaked somewhere between 2013, 2014. So even the revenue from, uh, uh, from Lebanese who were living in uh, oil-based countries like the GCC also started going down. So all this... Created or started developing the roots of the crisis that we started feeling heavily in 2015. Because if you look at the balance of payment, it used to be positive until 2011. The first year where the balance of payment in Lebanon became negative was in 2011. And it started accelerating. So since 2011, the balance of payment was negative. The government of Lebanon was, uh, I'm going to use a very tough word, dilapidating the deposits of the depositors that were kept via the banks at the central bank to, to close the gap of the negative balance of payment. And this is what led, in 2016, the central bank to design this, what we call the swap, or the financial engineering, whereby it pushed all the banks to bring all their liquidity from abroad. And they used to have about... Some banks used to have like 25% of their deposits kept abroad safely and liquid. And we ended up between 2016-2019 with the banks bringing all their liquidity from abroad and giving it to the central bank.
0: Was there there at the time... um, a debate or resistance from the banks or pointing out that this maybe was not the right path? Uh, I mean, I, I imagine as, as uh, you know, as private sector never likes to be told what to do. So I absolutely. imagine the answer was yes, right?
1: You ra- you raise, you're raising a very good point because back then, the head of the, of the uh, uh, like, uh, what, what do you call it? Uh, commission des banques, uh, al Masarif,
0: the Association of Banks? The
1: Association, absolutely. The, the, the Bankers Association, the Banking Association. The head was, the head was Dr. Francois Basile. At the end of 2014, he came up with this, with this famous statement on TV saying, We cannot keep on funding the government, a corrupt government, a corrupt state anymore. Funny enough, He was sued by two MPs, and he almost went to jail because of that. So this is when you see that and you notice how the public sector started uh, crossing certain red lines and stepping into the zone or the turf of the private sector.
0: So is it... um i'm going to sound naive here or at least uninformed if not naive is it uh against the law in lebanon to call a government official corrupt i would guess not because i've seen it so many times on social media
1: not at all not at all
0: no no but the idea. and, and yet part- and yet there were there were in this case uh they were peeved enough that they found a reason to uh, try to go after Mr. Basile.
1: Yeah, it was, part, it was part of the intimidation. This was part of the intim- intimidation that was taking place. Right. And, but this was bad because it, it, uh, because I asked Dr. Basile, I said, fine, you were realizing that you should not be giving money anymore, investing money anymore, either to the government directly or indirectly through the central bank how come you kept on playing the game? He said, well, we started losing depositors. We almost got bankrupt because other banks were paying higher interest rate just to attract and give, money, to give the money to, be, to the central bank or to the, to the government of Lebanon. So we had to carry on uh, uh, playing the game. I'm saying all this, Sami, because initially you asked me about Lebanon, I said, and you, you uh, spelled out clearly the crisis that uh, we are going through. I'm saying all this to say that this crisis or these crises that we are going through, there isn't one uh, party who is responsible. There are many parties who are responsible. And I'll try to summarize them in two or three.
0: Uh, I think banks... Please do that. And I think this is a good time you know, as you do that at the same time to sort of explain the chronology of the meltdown, you know, how, you know, how from what you just described, how do we then go to devaluation and hyperinflation, yes. et cetera?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, for me, everybody's responsible, uh, starting with greedy investors or greedy depositors who were fooled by high interest rates. And I always told my friends who used to ask me back in 2016, when the banks were paying 20% on dollar deposits. Can you imagine? 20% on dollar deposits.
0: An equivalent equivalent account in in the U.S. would have paid maybe 3%. Oh, no. In
1: 2016, interest rates were closer to 1% on one year year deposit. Okay. the, the, the uh, interest rate is like temperature. When the temperature is, is showing you 40 degrees, I don't know, it's like 100, 100.
0: 104. In Fahrenheit,
1: 104 and Fahrenheit. It means that the body is sick. So when you have a banking sector prepared to pay 20% on dollar deposits, it means that the body is sick. The sector was sick. And this was the, the, the alarming signal. This is when the private sector should have reacted. This is when, and I move to the responsible for that. So I'm saying, uh, uh, investors who were fooled by high interest rates, okay, bankers who did not uh, respect or apply their fiduciary responsibility properly toward their depositors, okay, a regulatory authority, be it at the bank uh, banking uh, commission. Or at the central bank per se, would did not apply the uh, force the banks to apply the prudent uh, rules and regulations, and definitely definitely a corrupt and mismanaged state so the the uh, the agglomeration of all this has led us to where we are today and this is this is what uh, what uh, what is uh, mind-boggling. And I'll give you a couple of figures. Uh, most probably you know them, but it's good to, 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 to remind those who might listen to it. Uh, currently, currently, and we talk, I mean, the, the banking sector used to be dollarized. I mean, most of the deposits used to be in, in US dollars. Today, and we're going just to talk about the US dollars, not the Lebanese pound deposits. Uh, currently, there are, at, at the banks, if you look at the consolidated balance sheet of banks, you would See that the banks owe depositors about 112. Let's say 110 billion dollars. Okay, so there are at the banks 110 billion dollars. These 110 billion dollars, the banks have bought euro bonds issued by the uh, uh, Lebanese government for about 10 billion dollars, and these bonds today trade at about 15 cents to the dollar. Say 20. So there is a loss of about 80. Uh, Eight, sorry, 80 percent. They have relayed to the economy, to the private sector, now, about $29 billion. But, and this is where the big problem that you are facing, they have deposited at the central bank $80 billion, 8-0. Eight now, if you look at the balance sheet of the central bank, on the liability side, the central bank owes banks $80 billion. However, out of the $80 billion, the central bank has only $16 billion in cash, so there is a gap at the central bank, which is the difference between the 80 and the 16. And this is why, when
0: where, uh, where did the I mean, it begs the question is where, where did the what's the difference 64 billion go?
1: Yes, uh, two or three reasons. One, uh, when the government one, find pe- 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 peg of the currency. Because we should not forget that the central bank, the monetary policy that was adopted since 1997 was to keep the currency stable, stable as if, as in not allowing the currency to float for about plus or two plus or plus or minus two or three percent, but complete peg to the currency, to the dollar of the currency to the dollar at a rate which is 1,500 since 1997. Okay, so the central bank was using part of the. Uh, These dollar deposits to defend this uh, pegged rate. Second.
0: So essentially uh, converting the dollars into lira, into Lebanese pound? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. So whoever wanted, whoever used to own Lebanese pound wanted dollars, the central bank used to give him or her dollars, but taken from the deposits that were kept at the central bank. The The second part has to do with financing the fiscal deficit of the government of Lebanon. And we had continuous fiscal deficit the third part i would label it as being the uh, negative carry because uh, the central bank was paying an average about six percent on these deposits in us dollars however these deposits initially kept not all of them whatever was left of them was were kept in cash abroad with the JPMorgans of this world at Half a percent or one percent. So the, the, uh, the central bank has been incurring a negative carry between what it was paying on the deposit, six percent, and what it was earning on these deposits, one percent or half a percent. Estimated at about four to five billion dollars a year over the last, I would say, four years or five years. So the combination of all this has led to this 64 or 65 billion dollars vanishing or evaporating. So essentially, this is what is leading to the banking crisis. Today, any depositor would go to the bank to withdraw money. He or she would have like a $50,000 account, let's say. The bank, the bank is not giving uh, any dollars anymore. They would give the depositor, a Lebanese pound, at a rate of 3,900. Lebanese pound to the dollar. When in the parallel market, the 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 currency trades at about twelve thousand. So there I was how much?
0: Sorry, at how much? In the- twelve thousand. Twelve thousand. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> twelve thousand. So the official line right now, yes, is that depositors eventually will be made whole, or what's the? I mean, is there uh, is there talk of a? I guess the events are. Uh, sort of forcing this on us—that uh, that there will be a haircut or nobody's saying anything.
1: But this is what is—I mean, uh, you, you, the, the You use you use the buzzword that everybody tried to avoid, but actually everybody's uh, everybody's applying. When when the government of Lebanon came up with the plan that was developed by Lazar back in March or in April, okay, and the plan—it was quite a tough plan. No bailout, only bail-in. However, avoid all those who have, in principle, less than $500,000. So any haircut or any haircut would apply to anything, to all accounts uh, above $500,000. Okay? And there was a big fuss about it, and uh, it was attacked. Today, what we're we're witnessing, even if someone has an account of $10,000, with what I explained to you, you go and withdraw your money, but they give it to you in, in Lebanese pound at the bank. You go to the uh, forex exchange, you give them the, the Lebanese pound, they give you dollars. You, everybody's incurring, even small accounts, 10,000, 20,000, 5,000, they're incurring a haircut of about 80 to 85%, even for small accounts. And this is the irony.
0: So after the Lazar plan was. Uh not not implemented was there perhaps discussion uh obviously i understand why wealthier i don't i don't necessarily agree but i understand why the wealthier accounts would resist was there then talk of okay not five hundred thousand dollars but maybe two hundred thousand dollars it could be or 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 or, or in the other direction maybe accounts Uh, I don't know how many people have million dollar accounts in Lebanon, but maybe that should be the threshold. Was anyone talking about that?
1: No, I'll I'll tell you. Uh, you would have you would have about, and this was like a year ago. I have the figures of a year ago. About twenty five out of the out of three point seven million accounts. Sorry, two point seven million accounts. About 1.7 million of them were less than three thousand dollars. So forget about them. Okay. Sure. You had uh, you had about twenty four, twenty five thousand accounts with one with more than one million dollars. And these used to represent eighty two billion dollars.
0: Okay. In so that's 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 the crux of it.
1: Yes. Now irrelevant. Look. Uh, what what the investment bank the role of the investment bank is purely technical, be it Lazard or Goldman Sachs or whatever. It's purely technical. How to solve this gap is a political decision. So uh, people By might. No way, since,
0: uh, sorry to stop you here, but since the Lazard plan, I, I don't. I think you called it the Lazard plan. Uh, no other plans have been offered.
1: Oh yes, the okay. the uh, the Association of Banks. I came up with, with a plan and uh, that was completely rejected by the IMF. Actually, what what uh, what the banks are saying is that, okay, we gave money to the central bank, the central bank gave money to the state, so it's up to the state to compensate us with all the assets that the state owns. Okay?
0: I, I can see that point of view, yeah.
1: Okay, this is, this is what the, the, the bank... Now, it's a political decision. It's up and to the, the state.
0: Is, the state is considered to have uh, sufficient assets to cover that? I, I know it's a hypothetical question, but.
1: It's not hypothetical because someone, uh, someone tried tabulated. to do an exercise. Yeah, did evaluation. And uh, some people used to, to voice that, uh, that the state has about, I don't know, $100 billion or $120 billion. I did my exercise. It would be closer to uh, uh, forty, including including land, including land.
0: So when you did that, you I assume you uh, you included perhaps. uh, I mean I don't know if these things are taboo in a place like Lebanon, but uh, like privatizing the airport, privatizing the port, all that stuff.
1: Absolutely, the Casino du Liban, uh, the uh, the uh, the intra bank. The telecommunication, uh, the, the, the telcos, the two telcos. Uh, going back to to something that I initially mentioned, that Lebanon was developed by the private sector. You know that, in back in 1994, 1995, Lebanon was the first country in this part of the world to uh, to develop uh, uh, cell towers and the and the mobile. We were the first, and it, it was developed by the private sector. For whatever reason, it would be part of another discussion we will have, you and I, for whatever reason, uh, the two operators were nationalized back in, two, in 2000. Now they're controlled by the state. And I always have uh, liked to repeat uh, the fact that uh, there is an, an inverse relationship between the, uh, how good or bad a state is capable of running a sector and the need or not to privatize the sector. I.e., if a state is a good manager, you don't need to privatize a sector. And I take, as an example, UDF in France. In France. Uh, historically, the state of France has shown that it is a good, good manager. And yet, they privatize UDF. But the, the, the point here, in Lebanon, the state has proven that it's a lousy manager at all levels mismanagement corruption all of that so there is an an urgent need to privatize all these sectors that have been kept in the hands of the of the uh, of the state
0: but at the same time the 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 corruption is what's stopping the privatization Um, because uh i'm speaking in theory here i don't know anything or nor am i pointing fingers at anyone uh in theory uh while the state is still holding the asset, the cash flows that are incoming can be, you know, arguably diverted to to, to uh, directions that are inefficient or to, uh, you know, uncompetitive bidders, let's say. Whereas once a sale, a whole, you know, the, the whole thing is privatized, the proceeds are visible and it would be very clear where that's going.
1: I, I totally agree with you. I'm going to uh, answer you in two ways. Currently, there's no way on earth that we should accept the privatization for two reasons. For the reason that you're just mentioning, there's a risk that it might fall uh, in, in, in the wrong hands. Okay, And the most important reason is that in view of the crisis we are witnessing, between brackets, our economy, the GDP, has shrank from 52 or $54 billion dollars down to $18 billion. Dollars in the span of a year and a half. It's, okay?
0: that's, that's, that's incredibly
1: it, yes, absolutely. It's tragic. So, it is tragic. So uh, today, today, the, the government needs every single penny, every single penny in terms of re- revenue, in order to balance its budget. So there's no way that we should be privatizing those income-producing assets, like the telecom, like the Port, uh, port de Beirut, like the airport, like the casino and all of that. Let let us keep them for the time being. However, historically, and I'm talking 15 or 20 years ago, uh, I worked with a friend of mine on the establishment of the or drafting actually of the of the privatization law uh, here in, in, in Lebanon. And because I I used to and I still believe that you know many political leaderships in Lebanon were developed on the basis of securing jobs within the public sector and this is why historically over the last 20 or 30 years there was a resistance to privatize many of the operating entities that were developed by the private sector you see because as long as these sectors are in the hand of the public administration these leaders can find jobs for the people they vote for them
0: right once so it's, uh, it's uh, you know you get you get prestige but you get patronage Absolutely. You, get, you get a whole structure of uh, political support as you pointed out. Absolutely.
1: So irrelevant whether you're contributing to the destruction of the sector or not or not. All you care about is to and, uh, is to develop your own leadership and let the it, because if this sector or this entity is moved to the private sector, this leader cannot influence anymore the owners to hire. Uh, uh, voters sure. uh, who belong to this leader. So uh, this is this is what we have been facing. You no, know, but so no. Let, let me ask you
0: because here we're. Uh, you know, I can I can talk to you about this for the next two hours, but I don't think you you want to do that on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> but uh, which is what it is in Beirut right now. But uh, you know, what are in your view, whether whether it's your own opinion or whether it's plans that you've seen or the IMF, or this or that organization, what are some uh, possible solutions out of this, uh, this tragedy, this quagmire? Uh, I mean, I know it's very complicated, and there's no sort of uh, magic formula with three bullet points. So maybe, maybe we, can set, we can think of, you know, what are some in- good incremental steps that could get us there?
1: Look, it's not complicated. I strongly believe, and now everybody's now is, un, is, is acknowledging the fact that all roads lead to Washington DC with the acronym IMF. We cannot evade IMF. IMF is the destination because if you want, uh, uh, if you want inflow of cash, it has to start there. So what we ought to do is, uh, uh, be responsible enough, and I'm talking about the, those who are in charge, responsible enough and initiate again the discussions with the IMF in order to agree on a plan, on a restructuring plan for the banking sector, on a reform plan for the state. And that would allow us to go and negotiate with the eurobond holders because the government decided, and rightly so, to default back in March uh, 2020 to go and negotiate. The, uh, 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 the replacement of the existing bonds with, with, with other bonds. So what we need to do is to go to, to the IMF and finalize discussions with the IMF. But what we need... But before has, that... Has
0: the IMF previously put forward a plan that was either rejected or is now suspended?
1: No, no, it's, because it's not up to, to the IMF to do it. What, what, and this, this was the uh, the, the job... Uh, or the assignment of uh, Lazar. Lazar, jointly with the advisors of the, of the government, have put a plan that has two, two aspects. One that has to do with the restructuring of the financial crisis, and the other that has to do with the reforms, with the reforms that should be implemented within the state of Lebanon. Now, you, once you've done your homework, you go to the IMF and say, you see, this is the plan I'm planning to put in place. What do you think about it? And then you negotiate. It takes one to two months. You negotiate with the IMF. And once it is approved, the IMF can uh, uh, unleash uh, the, the funds that, uh, that it is prepared to give to you. On top of that, you cannot go and talk to the eurobond holders until you have finalized uh, a plan with the IMF. Because if we were to go to the bondholders today and tell them, you know what, you are holding... A bond which is trading at 12 or 13 cents on the dollar. We're prepared to pay you in cash 20. They would sit with you and negotiate, say, No, we want 25 or 30 or 27. And you can agree. However, you're not going to pay cash. What you are going to tell them is that, you know what? You're going to give me the bond that you are holding. This is the restructuring. I'm going to replace it with another bond that has a maturity of 10, 15 or 20 years with a lower coupon with a grace period of two years and whatever. And so the, the bondholders are going to ask, well, fine, you promise to, to repay to me over a period of 10 years or 12 years. I can assume I'll have a recovery value of 30 or 35 or whatever. But show me the plan that will appease my anguish and secure for me that, and assure me that you'll be capable of, of repaying all this. How can I trust you? And for this plan to be accredited, uh, well-trusted by the bondholders, it has to be accredited by the IMF. So the passage to the IMF is obligatory.
0: And the uh, political reforms that are necessary, are they insurmountable or close to insurmountable, given the entrenched interests? I mean, is this what's holding up the whole thing right now?
1: Yes, unfortunately, because I think those, you know, uh, vitocracies don't work, and religious vitocracies are worse than ever. And I don't know if you if if you read it, I put the other day on, on my I tweeted something. I said politicians who are continuously worried about staying in power will certainly be more concerned about their uh, political survival rather than the prosperity of their country. But unfortunately, this is what we've been going through. But with the situation becoming so desperate, uh, I believe now it's about time that everybody moves and uh, moves in the right direction.
0: That's uh, excuse me, you put it very well. That's always been a big source of surprise uh, not just uh, as it relates to Lebanon, but any country out there that once uh, i mean unless you have a place with strong institutions like like uh, you know like u- European countries the u s so forth uh, in other countries, it seems like once uh, leaders have tasted power, uh, it's difficult and in some cases impossible for them to let go almost irrespective of the consequences on, on, the, on the country's economy or population. I mean, it seems to be, it's almost like a, uh, it's, it's almost become too obvious to repeat, right? Because there are the examples around the world, not just today, but in history, are, are, there are so many of them. So you yeah. and I, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you and I may think, well, you know, the situation is so dire that it's bound to happen, and yet uh, I hope you're right. But we're, we're repeatedly surprised on that score that um, you know that people still hang on, uh, if not beyond the last second, at, at least until the last second. So let's yeah. hope. Let's hope here it will be different. Uh, and there's a good chance that it will be different here because the leadership itself is fragmented. It so is. If you want, if you want to take a, a, an optimistic, and I certainly encourage it, uh, angle on this is to say, you know, you, you don't have like one dictator who's, who's refusing to budge. You have a mosaic of different interests. And because they're naturally counterbalancing, maybe together, you know, before the whole thing goes off the cliff, I mean, arguably it already has, but there is there's, there's reason for optimism and uh, plenty of grounds for things to get better, that they will move in concert and uh, agree to those reforms so we can get the IMF package. Yeah, we
1: should. This is why, and I'll maybe close on this topic, and uh, uh, we, we're counting a lot on the uh, uh, diaspora of the Lebanese, like you are abroad. Because I strongly believe that the true Lebanon is no more now active or in control inside Lebanon, and the Lebanese who are abroad are the ones who truly represent Lebanon. And we truly are counting on the likes of you, Sami, to start lobbying, uh, coming up with ideas, and helping us and putting pressure on the uh, on the ruling uh, club to to force to force
0: the state to go in the right direction. All right, Joe, let's hope for the best. There's a lot of work ahead. Uh, I don't need to tell you, but I'm saying this for listeners, that it's a country with tremendous potential because it's a country that has a lot of assets, not least a highly educated population. Uh, and a very strategic geographic position and a, history, and a history of liberalism that should be preserved and will be preserved, uh, let's hope. So before I close, I'm going to ask you if you'd like to add anything else because otherwise I will let you go enjoy the remainder of your weekend.
1: Thank you. No, I have nothing, nothing to ask for the time being. But uh, I look forward to seeing you quite soon.
0: Thank you. You too, Joe. Stay, stay on the line. Uh, well, I'm going to stop the recording in a minute, but uh, stay on the Good. line okay. so you and I can have the last few words. But this was Joe Aisal Khouri speaking to us from Beirut about the challenges that Lebanon is currently facing. Uh, I'm Sammy J. Karam. Thank you very much for joining us.